0: Final Draft Radio. Original programming. Original program. Live from the ACU of Texas Studios. Texas Studios. Educating Texas you studios. about your health with the area's top medical professionals. Your Health Matters with Abby Lee. Every week, hear about the latest in medical trends, treatments, and technology. Your Health Matters with your host, Abby Lee.
1: We are going to talk about Trigger finger and carpal tunnel and some other words that I can't really say. <laughs> so I'm not gonna say that I'm out loud right now. <laughs> so I'm just gonna let you the D word and that's and then I'll let you say it. <laughs> yes. That is a de- no, I don't even. I don't even know. I'm not gonna even go there. Veins. Veins. Dexi. Decra veins. Yeah. Go. Okay. She's so we're gonna good. learn about all sorts of things and learn how to say them too today. So yay. <laughs> but I do know how to talk about. Tri- I do know how to say trigger finger. There you go. Yay. Yeah. Yeah. so um, so that's what we're going to talk about today. So uh, so excited to have you here, and Kara is also our co-host. Uh, so for those of you who don't know, and you can't see the belly, I am expecting a little boy in July. So crazy. Yeah. So Kara will be manning the reins while I am gone. So yay, yay. She's not nervous, but it'll be fine. Not She'll at all. Do good. So she's, gonna, <laughs> so she's hanging with me while uh, while we get started. So anyway, let's let's just jump right in Dr. Hinojo. So why don't you tell tell everybody a little bit about yourself and why you chose
2: hand surgery. So I actually grew up not too far from here down in Texas City and went off for school and training and then ended up right back close to where I came from and it's kind of fun to be back home and close to family. That's awesome. So where did you end up going to school? So I did my undergraduate in um, Austin at UT and then from there I went to med school at UTMB in Galveston and then my orthopedic residency I did in Dallas at UT Southwestern And then after that, I focused on the upper extremity in New York at the CV Star Hand Surgery Fellowship. Ooh, so so you know all about hands. I do.
1: (laughs) And and I have to tell you that, like, before we even got in here, I'm like, Dr. Hinojosa, can you feel my hand right here? Because there's something going on. So, you know, I'm sure you get that with everybody all the time. It happens a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so let's
2: talk about trigger finger first. Uh, Not to be trigger happy or something like that, but what does it mean? So trigger finger is a pretty common problem. It's one of the more common problems we see in the office. We don't know exactly why it happens for the most part. There is a predisposition in diabetics but for the most part it can happen to anyone at any age and it's um, it's a problem with the tendons which are the rope like structures that allow you to bend your fingers you have them on the back side of your hand that allow you to straighten your fingers and you have some on the palm side of your hand that allow you to bend your fingers so trigger finger affects the tendons on the palm side of the hand and what happens is um, they get uh, inflamed and as they pass under these little structures called pulleys those are the structures that hold it to the bone, so that they're allowed to perform their function, which is to bend the fingers. And right at the level of the metacarpal phalangeal joint, which is what the lay term is kind of the knuckle, joint right at the the palm but on the inside of your hand on the inside um, there's a little tunnel that the tendon passes through and it should glide nice and nice and smoothly with trigger finger that smooth gliding doesn't exactly happen so I often compare it to having a knot in your fishing line and you're trying to thread that knotted fishing line through the eyelet of the fishing pole yeah you can get it through there but it, it gets it can get hung up and so the way that translates into the the clinical finding is they bend their finger and it gets stuck and they can't get it to straighten back out so they have to manually take their other hand and manually straighten it out to unlock the fingers. So that's what it is and it's it's easily treated in the office I mean there's a a pretty high success rate of treating these uh, with a steroid injection and for the most part you can get resolution of the problem with the steroid injection it has a a high success rate what's not predictable is the duration that you get the relief Um,
1: okay so let's talk about the other signs and symptoms so does someone have pain whenever their hand gets
2: stuck it's it can that's one of the most common presenting symptoms the the locking itself can be an annoyance, uh, but you can unlock it with the pain that accompanies the triggering or the locking or the catching is what gets people in here. And sometimes the pain precedes the mechanical blocking or the catching. And so sometimes they come in even before the locking because the pain can be so excruciating. So does it hurt on like their knuckle area? Right, over that. So those pulleys that we talked about, the yeah. little tu- the tunnels that the tendon passes underneath, um, there's one that there's one specific, they're late, you know, we have names for them, but at that specific location. That no one else knows but you. <laughs> <laughs> but when you press right in that specific area, you know, that's... It hurts really bad. They come out of their chair. Is it like neuromas in your feet? It can be comparable in pain, but it's a completely different structure that's involved. So the neuroma is with the nerve, and this is the tendon and the, the surrounding inflammation that sometimes accompanies it is what causes the pain, in addition to the mechanical block or the the digit getting stuck in a flexed or bent position. So if one finger does it, can it affect other fingers? That's the most common question people ask, like, because I got it in one, does that mean it's going to necessarily happen in another or all of my fingers? And it's not. Just because you have it in one doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to get in another. So, Is it always their index finger? No, actually, the most, actually... I had to ask that one, too. I know. Maybe, maybe in Texas, no. Actually, the most common finger is the ring finger. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, there is a, a more common digit, but it can happen to any digit. It absolutely can. It can even happen in kids. There's a genetic um, trigger finger that uh, that sometimes happens in babies and can spontaneously resolve, but uh, occasionally does require a little procedure to, to release it.
1: Okay, so wow. what happens if someone doesn't see you and they have... Their
2: finger keeps getting keeps stuck. Keeps getting stuck. Well, for the most part, it's just a, a nuisance. It's painful. It can limit your functions. Um, but if it's prolonged and the locking is more persistent, then you can get uh, what's called a contracture. So if it gets stuck and you kind of leave it there because it's too painful to unlock it or to uncatch it, um, the small joints in the hander, it's, it's a completely different animal. Those little joints get really stiff really fast if they're in a fixed position for too long. Mm-hmm. So if it gets what we call locked stuck in the bent position and you leave it there then the it's a it's much bigger deal and much more involved to get it back to its straightened position so
1: normally if someone's been dealing with this for a couple weeks and they're like I'm in a lot of pain and they come and see
2: you do you splint it oh you said steroid injection right you do there is there is a described Mm -hmm. splinting technique that's not as predictable and not as successful with the treatment as you know as an injection is Mm -hmm. Um, but it's, it's absolutely an option to try.
1: So if someone waits for years and their finger is stuck do you
2: have to do surgery? You do you do but for the most part people don't just leave their finger in that stuck position that's very very rare and that would be an extreme case
1: okay so are
2: there factors that make someone more at risk for developing trigger finger there's really not they've done studies to try to correlate you know comorbidities gender activities um, and there's really not there there is there are some studies that that show a slight in um, increase in diabetics with trigger fingering with trigger fingers but (laughs) overall there's really no correlation the only Cause that we know for sure that we can say this is going to cause it is if you have a partial tendon laceration, the lacerated part of the tendon can catch on that pulley every time you flex it. So that's a mechanical block, and there's a reason for that. So that I always ask people, Have you had a trauma? Because if they've had a trauma and there's a partial tendon laceration and that's getting hooked on that or caught on that pulley, an injection is not going to help those people. Oh, so if they have a trauma, what's the most common trauma that you would Um, see for that? For that, like a penetrating injury. I'll tell you the most. Is pitting an avocado? People tend to, <gasps> you know, stick the knife in the avocado seed, oh.
1: <laughs> and so they'll either completely tear the tendon,
2: or they'll, um, or they'll partially tear it. And the partial tendon tears are the ones that can lead to the the triggering. So be careful when you See, are cutting that's your why avocado stay out of the kitchen. It's, it's a
1: dangerous place. <laughs> it's a very dangerous place.
2: <laughs> Do you have a certain way you recommend people to cut an avocado? Don't hold the avocado in one hand and stick the the knife with Straight the other in? hand. Oh my God! It, it's not if, it's when. <laughs> when Ooh, you're wow. gonna? Miss. Let's see. It's Especially actually pretty here common. in Texas,
1: because everybody eats guacamole. Yes, it's pretty common. <laughs> wow. So, how do
2: you diagnose it? So people come into the office and they'll they'll usually say, my finger, it, it hurts. That's the most common presenting symptom is just pain. And then they'll actually say, it's getting caught, it's getting stuck, I can't get it straight. It's usually worse in the morning. Sometimes with um, use during the day, they notice that the symptoms are not as severe at the end of the day, but- Oh, so it's say like morning. non-activity that makes it-, it... C- It's not that it may, it's just uh, most people sleep with their hand or fingers in some type of flex position. So when they wake up in the morning, that first opening of your hand, it's kind of in that locked position. So That's when it tends to get their attention more so it's definitely you know the the symptoms that they describe is pain my finger gets bent it gets stuck i can't get it to straighten on its own i have to use my other hand to get it back into the straightened position that's crazy and so that's the the history a lot of times will give you the diagnosis so
1: would i all of a sudden start having these symptoms like is it a gradual or is it a fast like oh my
2: god my finger is getting
1: stuck and i can't open it it Ah." it varies
2: (laughs) it definitely varies on its progression and some people never progress past the point of just pain around the flexor tendon sheath which is the surrounding the lining around the tendon Um, you can start with the pain and within weeks develop the triggering and then you know progressively it can get worse with the locking but some people just have like a a painless or you know mildly painful catching that Hmm. doesn't lock so the progression doesn't follow any predictable time frame
1: wow all right i'm checking to see if we have any questions on facebook all right no. is there anything
2: else you want to talk about trigger finger before we go to break well just the last is there is a limit to the number of steroid injections you can get to treat this problem Mm -hmm. you can't just get like you know your shoulder your hip your knee or even joints around your fingers you can there's no real limit there's a limit to the The distance between the injections but um, around tendon sheaths you can't do really more than two because the steroid itself weakens potentially weakens the normal healthy tissue um, and it can attenuate those and cause tendon ruptures so you know if you get get relief from one injection for quite a bit of time I think it's absolutely reasonable to try a second injection but if it returns after the second injection it's it's not a good idea unless there's some extenuating circumstances um, but I would definitely, you need the procedure to release the So then you the need pulley. surgery?
1: Mm-hmm. Oh. So, whoa. How does that, what's
2: the recovery time on that surgery? It's, it doesn't take very long at all. It's, you know, however long it takes the incision to heal. Usually 10 to 14 days, I try to modify people's activity so they don't pull. It's like a, you know, one and a half centimeter incision right at the level of that little pulley. Oh, okay. And you just are essentially opening up and kind of creating more space to accommodate that enlarged tendon as it glides through I more I can smoothly. imagine,
1: like, having... And I do it awake. What? Yeah, you do that <gasps> one awake.
2: Oh my God, I <laughs> don't know if I want that. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, if it's that small, then I can understand it that. Right? It doesn't take very long at all. You just numb the numb the little area with some lidocaine, and it make sure you there's there are some important structures that we have to get out of the way <laughs> before I would be we like, release don't Let me look. Yeah, we don't let, let them look. See. we don't let them see. But I do. The reason I do it awake is so they can actively you know open and close their hand to make sure that there's no, no other oh. offending structures that could be potentially causing the triggering. So you're so smart.
1: There. <laughs> (laughs) 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 all right we come back we're going to talk about carpal tunnel so y'all stay tuned
0: interact with abby and her guest on facebook search for vinyl draft radio v-i-n-y-l-d-r-a-u-g-h-t your health matters with abby lee on vinyl draft radio oh hey Hey, how you doing girl we're back back to Your Health Matters with Abby Lee. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, contact us at VinylDraftRadio.com. This is Your Health, Health Matters, Matters with, with Abby, Abby Lee.
1: Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Your Health Matters with Abby Lee. And I want to give a shout out to some people that are watching on Facebook. So Kayla, hey, Dr. Hinojosa, you're doing great. (laughs) That's what she says. And Patricia says hello. So hey, you guys, thanks so much for watching. So make sure you if you have questions about hands or fingers or anything like that. Today's your day to ask some questions. So ask away. And we are about to talk about carpal tunnel. (laughs) So I, I pick all my mom a lot on this show. (laughs) She's like, why are you picking on me again? But it's true. But she had carpal tunnel surgery on both of her hands. And I remember when she would try to grab her coffee cup in the morning and it would like, she was like, oh my God, I can't grab it. It's going to fall out of my hand. So crazy. So let's talk a little bit about carpal tunnel. What is it and what what how what is it got it so
2: (laughs) (laughs) it's actually the single most uh, the most common compressive neuropathy in the upper extremity which means the most common nerve that is under pressure in the hand or upper extremity and so the most common presenting symptom of carpal tunnel syndrome is numbness people complain of numbness in their hands and it generally is so bad that it wakes them up at night and the the reason that it's it's so problematic or so symptomatic is that right in the palm right where the palm meets the wrist is a um, there's a little canal where the tendons sit and the nerve that's the culprit in carpal tunnel all live and there's a roof to the carpal tunnel uh, which is a ligament and the space that is available underneath that ligament or the roof of that canal um, is occupied with either, you know, a foreign not uh, a mass or extra fluid or inflammation or there's there's something in there that's causing that sp- space to be decreased or compressed and so that nerve nerves don't like to be pressed on and the initial symptom if there is pressure on a nerve is numbness mm-hmm. so everybody's sat on their foot for a little too long at one time or another and so that's what you're handling the same like. right exactly and so the longer you have pressure on that nerve the more damage um the more damage is being done to that nerve. So So
1: I thought that it was about your thumb. It's not your thumb, it's like all of your
2: fingers and your whole hand is numb? So that particular nerve supplies sensation to your thumb, your index finger, your middle finger, and uh, part of the ring finger. Okay. So there's a big, the, the median nerve is bigger than the digital nerve, so it kind of branches out into the hand and it supplies the sensation to those three and a half fingers. Oh, so that's why grabbing things and, like, she couldn't open cans or anything like that? Advanced or prolonged carpal tunnel or prolonged pressure, severe pressure on the nerve, um, not only does that nerve supply um, the sensation to the fingers, but it also supplies the tiny little muscles in your hands that help you pinch your grip. And so if that nerve has been compressed for a prolonged period of time, those muscles aren't getting the innervation that they typically get, so they weaken. And so that's why the dropping and the weakness persist. That's usually one of the later findings in carpal tunnel syndrome. Oh, so she waited too long, basically. <laughs> she might have.
1: <laughs> but that's not uncommon. Most people,
2: most people can deal with the numbness. It's just a nuisance. Um what typically gets people's attention is the nighttime symptoms. So if you're one of the patients um, that is not getting sleep at night, that tends to get people's attention and get them into sleep. So is it, it just out. pain that wakes them up? It's or? pain and numbness. And the reason that it affects people so much more at night than during the day is twofold. One, everybody sleeps with their wrist in some degree of flexion. And so that nerve sits on the palm side of the wrist. And so you could imagine if your wrist is bent, that nerve is being pressed on Mm -hmm. all night. And so it wakes you up and you shake your hand out and then you go back to sleep. In the daytime, not much of what we do is in a fixed flex position Mm -hmm. uh, for the most part. And if it is, such as driving or typing for any prolonged period of time, you're awake and you're aware. And so you can adjust and modify your position so that you don't get to that point where it's severely numb. Side note, I never noticed that I slept with my hands in until you said that
1: (laughs) in a seminar. like. A year and a half ago. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't sleep like that. And then I woke up the next, and I was like, oh, my God, I totally do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Most so people so do. <laughs> that <laughs> is crazy. And my son does, too. So it's interesting how you, like, notice things now. Like, oh, my gosh, you're sleeping that way. Yeah. Dr. Hanna <laughs> <Anahosa> was right. <laughs> so, uh, it's it see, Ryan says, it seems like waking you up at night is always the sign you need surgery
2: not always um i generally like to start with non-operative treatment options to begin with if Depending on your like I have you come in and there are some clinical findings that are indicative of a more severely compressed nerve and, and he is absolutely right the nightly symptoms that are worsening despite any conservative measures It is an indication that something needs to be done
1: So are there people that are more commonly affected with
2: carpal tunnel than others? Absolutely There are pregnancy is one of the more common what? causes of, <laughs> of carpal tunnel You've got <laughs> extra fluid floating around. It's got to go somewhere and so one of the places that it goes is uh, is around that nerve and so it's one of the the we say risk factors but it it absolutely can contribute to developing carpal tunnel it's temporary it usually resolves after you have the baby but other common comorbidities that are associated with carpal tunnel syndrome are diabetes Um, and that's twofold one um, you know the glucose control Mm -hmm. contributes to some degree to the nerve but also there's there can be superimposed neuropathy which is a little bit different so it can magnify the symptoms of carpal tunnel Um, when you have it. Thyroid disorders can absolutely, specifically hypothyroid. So I always ask the patients, you know, are you diabetic? um, Do you have thyroid disorder? And if you do, are these adequately controlled? Because Mm -hmm. the degree to which they're controlled can correlate with the severity of the symptoms. So those are some modifiable risk factors that can contribute to the severity of the nerve compression for sure. Does it show up in more men versus women? Um, I would say more women um, tend to have this, but it can happen in men or women, this is, Doesn't, and it's not age dependent either. I see it in young, I see it in older, I see it, I don't see it in kids very much, but definitely adults, especially people that do a lot of continuous repetitive activities or keep their wrists in a fixed position for a prolonged period of time. So, one of the initial treatments is definitely activity modifications, just helping people be aware Mm -hmm. of what's contributing to the compression and what they can do to modify it to improve the symptoms. So,
1: using your hands will help it, but Keeping it in the same spot over and over again. Specifically
2: keeping it in a bent position is going to keep pressure on that nerve because it narrows the space available for that nerve. And so it's, it's, like I said, I compare it to sitting on your foot for Mm -hmm. a prolonged period of time. Uh, Let's see. What about treatment? so in the initial treatment if it's if it hasn't been going on for very long the initial treatment is actually a brace at nighttime and most people think why am I putting this brace on at nighttime it bothers me during the day it it does wake me up at night but my symptoms are more persistent more noticeable during the day and the reason is is because at night like we already talked about you sleep with your wrist in that bent position or that flexed position so that nerve is under pressure all night long so however many hours it is you're sleeping at night that nerve is under pressure for that that period I'm of sorry, time. sorry i'm not laughing at you ryan says did t-rex has have carpal tunnel
1: <laughs> 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 oh my god sorry i saw that i'm like what's up with the t Rexes, man so i'm sorry <laughs> okay all right all right all right <laughs> is there anything you can do to prevent it if someone starts having these symptoms? absolutely so the night the
2: The nighttime splints are absolutely um, helpful, and and they do not help during the day. Like, I have people come in and go, I'm wearing it all day, all night. That's like, (laughs) you don't need it just at nighttime. That's all you need. And it's um, the other is activity modification. If you know when you type for a prolonged period of time and you've got your wrist flexed over a bar, that's putting pressure there. Just stop, you know, every few minutes and just shake your hand out. You don't need this prolonged break, but just stop every now and then and just shake your hands out and give yourself a little bit of a break and Uh that tends to to help you know and some of the more modifiable risk factors the diabetes the thyroid those if you get that condition under better control that can help alleviate some of the symptoms as well so at what point do you tell someone that they need to have surgery so um, there are different criteria for surgery for sure, I would not tell like someone that's pregnant. Something, Somebody that's got a modifiable risk factor, I would not recommend surgery to begin with, or symptoms that haven't been going on for very long. If you have severe progressive symptoms that are not getting better despite conservative measures or non-operative measures, the nighttime splinting, the activity modifications, getting your diabetes under control, your thyroid, that's when you need to intervene. And the surgery is, it's a day surgery. It takes less than seven minutes. It's a you know one and a half centimeter incision in your palm. And what you're doing is you're releasing that offending structure, the ligament or the roof of that carpal tunnel. You're just releasing it sharply in surgery, and you're taking the pressure off of that nerve. So I compare it to patients in the office when we're going over what I'm doing it and trying to explain it. I, I compare it to loosening your belt at the Thanksgiving table. You know, after you've had a big, heavy meal, and you loosen your belt and you can <laughs> oh, breathe. that feels so good. That's how the nerve feels. That's how it feels after that's you. And that's how it kind of looks. It just looks like, ah. It feels much better. So can you wait too long and have permanent damage? You can. and This is one of the difficult decisions to have with people that come in with more advanced disease. So the nerve, when it's been pressed on or compressed for a long period of time and it's severely compressed, then you start to have irreversible damage. So if you do have the atrophy or the muscle weakness that we talked about earlier that causes the weakness with the pinching and the gripping, those changes are irreversible. You still go ahead and treat them because if you do nothing, it will continue to worsen and so one of the biggest factors that I um, I try to convey to my patients is I may not be able to improve your symptoms um, but you absolutely will continue to progress and worsen if you do nothing now there I I, am always optimistic that people are going to get better and I can tell you for a fact the nighttime symptoms that people experience always go away I call my patients the morning after surgery and even with the discomfort of an incision they they always tell me that's the first night I slept that's the first night I didn't wake up shaking my hands out yay so that does go away immediately but the persistent numbness during the day that can take up to a year to improve and I always say smokers and diabetics they don't they don't do as well their prognosis for recovery is not as good as someone that's not diabetic and doesn't smoke so I don't think there's anything wrong with being optimistic with the recovery but you have to take into consideration the whole picture. Smokers, diabetics, they just don't have the the potential to recover and regenerate like people that don't have those problems do.
1: Right. Okay, so there's a question from Joe. Are steroid injections
2: recommended at the joint for pain? If so, how often? Sure. So I do steroid injections um. For pregnant women, because I know that that's going to be a temporary uh, state that they're in. They're not going to be pregnant forever. Um, another Thank God. <laughs> time, <laughs> another time, steroid injections are beneficial is if you have really mild carpal tunnel. So if you get a nerve study or your clinical exam is consistent with a very mild carpal tunnel, that's not carpal tunnel syndrome, that's not responsive to the nighttime splinting. I think the uh, the steroid injection is is absolutely indicated for that that those types of is patients. Is that the same
1: thing with a trigger finger you
2: do too and then you're like all right you, you typically need to have don't surgery. continue uh, injections with the carpal tunnel cuz the idea behind doing the steroid injection is that you're um, it's a tran- you know the carpal tunnel syndrome is either mild and it's going to get better or it's a condition that's going to resolve pregnancy. Um, so it's not something that you just continue to do over and over again. If, if you do get better with an injection and your symptoms return, there are studies that show your, um, your success or your prognosis after surgery is much more predictable in a good way.
1: Oh, cool. Awesome. All right. So we're gonna have to take a quick little break. And when we come back, we're gonna talk about other common hand finger injuries from sports, from basal joint arthritis, and uh, quervins. Did go. I say it right? Did. <laughs> Yay. <Yeah. laughs> awesome. So we'll be right back.
0: Find out more on today's show, listen to previous episodes, or watch us on YouTube. Go to vinaldraftradio.com and click on audio and video archives. We're back. Let's talk about your health with some of the Bay Area's top medical professionals. Get your weekly dose of Your Health Matters with Abby Lee on Vinyl Draft Radio. Radio done differently.
1: Welcome back to Your Health Matters. I'm Abby Lee and today we're talking to Dr. Lauren Hinahosa who is a hand surgeon. We're talking about all things hands. So we covered trigger finger and lots of interesting information about carpal tunnel. Ooh, I do have one more question about carpal tunnel. And then we're gonna get into the Quervains and osteoarthritis and diputrins. Did I say that all right? (laughs) Dupuytrens, (laughs) yeah. Whatever. Okay, so we're gonna talk about all these things that I don't know how to say, and uh, a couple more, but can, okay, so say someone has had carpal tunnel surgery. Mm -hmm. Can their symptoms and all of that come
2: back after that? Generally not. We say that releasing that ligament, which is the offending structure pressing on the nerve, is the definitive treatment. Every now and then there's some remnants of that ligament that are left behind, and so if, if that's not completely released, then absolutely you can have recurrent carpal tunnel so there there is and then you that incision for that surgery is um, it's a much bigger incision because you definitely explore the nerve in a little greater length um, to make sure there's no other offending structures so absolutely you can have it again but not not common it's very very unusual to have recurrent carpal tunnel yeah
1: I can not imagine like having surgery on your hand is like your feet you don't realize how much you use it until you can't mm-hmm. yes oh lordy <laughs> Thank God that I don't have to have surgery on my hands. Okay, so let's. what's the most common hand finger injury that you see besides trigger finger and carpal tunnel? As
2: far as injury goes, definitely probably the jammed fingers, so which is a spectrum of, of injuries from a like a little sprain or strain of the ligaments, which are the soft tissue structures that hold the ligaments lined up, kind of like bungee cords. So you can stretch those out a little bit, you can partially tear them, and then the other end of the spectrum, as far as a jammed finger goes, is um, completely dislocating it. So So the two bones go in opposite directions. I see that very commonly, especially in sports around here. So when we were talking earlier, you were
1: talking about how some people will have an injury to their finger or their hand and just wait and wait and see if it goes away. And then it turns into something really horrible. Talk a little bit about that. It
2: absolutely can. And unfortunately, I see some of the, the long term consequences of delayed treatment and something that could easily be treated with taping the fingers together or a little splint for a few weeks turns into something more complex more invasive surgically even sometimes and it's it's difficult to have those conversations especially in young kids when they think they just jam their fingers and and they just kind of try to what they call walk it off or you know shake it off and it, it absolutely doesn't warrant surgery at the time if you get treated at the time. So I, I often encourage, if, if even if you think it's just jammed, just get somebody to look at it, get an x-ray, make sure there's not something more involved going on that could be easily treated if you treat it from the onset instead of waiting. So are, are there certain there. symptoms that a parent, so I will have two boys,
1: so oh, I imagine that <laughs> yes. I'll have uh, some yes. jammed fingers at yeah. some point, are, are there certain signs and symptoms that should say, all right, we need to go see Dr. Hinojosa, like now or
2: maybe we can wait a day and see
1: what's really going on I
2: mean one of the more common misconceptions is like that I see in the office is people go, oh, they can bend it, so it's not broken. Yeah. That's, what it, it's not broken. Oh. that's what I would do. Oh, most people say, yeah, or there's that's, no blood, you're yeah. good. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's not the case at all. So um, significant amount of swelling, obvious deformity, uh, inability to bend is absolutely bend or straighten fully. I, I think are all reasons to at least just get it checked out. You know, it's, a simple X-ray doesn't take very long, and it could save you in the long run. As far as you know. In time involved in the recovery as well as your function on the end, on the, at the end of the road. So, so are there certain sports that you see more hand injuries from? see a ton of uh, finger injuries from baseball or basketball, you know, from catching the ball. Mm-hmm. Um, and then wrist injuries are more common in um, – Football, I see a ton of, of football injuries, wrist from injuries. falling on the ground? Falling or tackled or getting stepped on. Soccer has just finished the soccer season, so we saw quite a few broken uh, wrists and forearms from soccer injuries. Wow. These they people are the aggressive. These, these <laughs> players, and it's not just Knocking the boys. These girls are aggressive, too. We've, we've put on quite a few casts for broken forearms and wrists and kids playing soccer. And wow. I'll tell you another, that's another tough, tough conversation at the end of football season undoubtedly I'm going to get two or three football players that have just been taping up a sprain (laughs) that end up having a a you know a scaphoid fracture which is it's a bad it's a bone in the wrist that doesn't have very good blood supply to begin with and this is one of the the heartbreaking conversations to have something that's easily treated in a cast for a few weeks turns into a big surgery with bone graft and a long recovery so try not to just walk off I'm not saying you know every wrist brain needs to to be emergently evaluated but persistent pain around the wrist especially with activity or push-ups or weight-bearing should be looked at uh, so how sooner long, than later so how what would you quantify that time frame well it depends on like if there's a significant, amount of, a significant amount of swelling that accompanies the pain I would get that looked at pretty quickly if there's no swelling and it's just pain and you put in a wrist brace for um, you know about a week or so and you still have pain with the activity modifications meaning you know no contact sports no heavy lifting pushing or pulling and you still have the persistent pain that's when I think it's a good idea but if there's a obvious deformity or open wounds or a lot of swelling that accompanies the injury and the pain then that should be looked at pretty close pretty quickly
1: yeah cuz there's bone sticking out if there's a deformity (laughs) yeah,
2: (laughs) you would be surprised at the the injuries that come in that people go I thought it would just get better (sighs) going back to fractures so if they go and they wait say they fracture it so Mm -hmm. this happened to my son he plays football and broke his finger was set Mm -hmm. played football again they taped it and now it's deformed doesn't hurt he can bend it, it functions just fine. But later in life, is he gonna end up having problems? It depends. So absolutely the indications for treatment are dependent on function. So if you've got full flexion, full extension and no pain, can't really make them much better than that. Yeah. You don't really treat the x-ray per se, you treat the whole patient, the x-ray combined with it. As far as problems down the road with arthritis, it depends on where the fracture is. So if the fracture goes into the articular surface or involves the joint, those patients are more predispositioned or more predisposed to developing arthritis. But that doesn't necessarily translate into pain or loss of function. Mm-hmm. Everybody is different when it comes to that eye. I, I can look at the same x-ray, um, generally speaking as far as the severity of arthritis, and one, one patient may say, doesn't bother me at all and it's just an incidental finding that I'm looking having to see that when I'm looking at something else and I may see the exact same severity or grade of arthritis in another patient and they're on the floor writhing in pain so there's no uh, correlation between the radiographic findings and the symptoms Um, but I would say there is a more a higher predisposition to developing arthritis if the fracture involves Mm -hmm. the articular surface and it's not somewhat restored okay All right. so let's talk about some other you were talking earlier about basal joint arthritis and that's arthritis in the thumb right it's at the base of the thumb so it's where the thumb kind of hooks up with the wrist and it's one of the single most common forms of arthritis that I see specifically in women it's it's so much more common in women than men and the typical complaint is I can't open a jar I can't turn a doorknob I can't pinch I can't grip and it's all related to the pain right there at the basal joint and most people um, get quite a bit of relief initially with non-operative medicine measures, steroid injections, oral medications, um, splinting or bracing, modifying their activities. If you've exhausted all of those um, and you're still persistently painful, there is a surgery to fix that problem. And it's very predictable in what it's aimed to do, which is pain relief. But that's a really, it's an invasive surgery that has a long recovery. And it's its pretty painful, you know, ac- acutely in the short interim after surgery. But it's, it's very reliable and predictable in its goal, which is pain relief. So there's a lady that I've seen a couple of times. And every
1: time I see her, I talk about you because she's like, this is my thumb and I can't move it at all and I'm trying to right now and I'm like uh, that's not good
2: <laughs> is that the basal joint arthritis or what do you could, think that could be it could be, There's. it could be a tendon problem because tendons are responsible for moving the thumb, there could be nerve problems if you don't have the nerves innervating the muscles then you're not going to have the thumb the thumb's not going to be able to move so depending on, you know, you'd have to examine her and see exactly why, some people don't move it because they're apprehensive because it hurts to move it it. And if they leave it in the extended or fixed position for too long, it gets, we talked about this they're earlier with the stiff. trigger finger. Yeah. yeah, the finger and the small digits in the hand get really stiff really fast if they're left in, a, in a, um, one position for a prolonged period of time. They just changed the clock on me, and we all of a
1: sudden have a minute and 30 seconds.
2: Okay. So let's talk about the quervins. So hopefully you won't experience this. This is an extremely painful um, problem with the the tendons around the wrist. Very, very common in women right after they have babies. And it's the most common cause is uh, continuous, repetitive wrist motion in this direction. So the the position of bending your wrist towards you. Exactly. So invariably, when I see a woman walk in with a carrier, and she's got wrist pain. Typically this is the problem. The good news is most of the time, you get complete relief with a steroid injection. So Yay. this does not. It, it occasionally can can require surgery, but it doesn't. I actually suffered from this one in both of my wrists after both of my kids. So I, I empathize <laughs> with the patients <laughs> now because it is a and you got it. You
1: got steroid injection. I, did. Injections I in absolutely mode? did, and Yay. it went away. So
2: it's after it's, one. I one did. injection. I, got, I have one wow. in each. It went away. So it was. I empathize now. I used to think, what oh, can't hurt that bad? It is. <laughs> it definitely <laughs> hurts. So I empathize now. Okay, so let's talk about this other one real quick Dupuytrens so Dupuytrens is a genetic condition that um, actually more commonly affects men than women Um, there are some risk factors that can bring about the expression of this disease um, such as heavy alcohol use diabetes, anti-seizure medications some of the uh, antiretrovirals for AIDS can bring about this but this is a problem that you're born with. It's in your genes there's nothing you can do about it and there's no way to predict the degree to which it expresses itself. And what it is is there's right under the skin there's a thin layer called the palmar fascia which sits on top of the muscular layer and it's supposed to be that. Very very thin. Like it's non-existent. You don't feel it. With this disease, and it's not cancer, it's nothing bad, but it is a condition that causes that layer to thicken. And as it thickens, it forms rope-like structures. And as those rope-like structures form, they cause the finger to draw down. And this this is one of the other conditions, as with most hand issues. It's so much easier to treat when you catch it at an early stage as opposed to letting it go. Now, you can come in and you can feel the thickening, and there's nothing to do about it. And there's no Way to predict whether or not that person's gonna progress or not. Um, but once it does start drawing the joints down, there are minimally invasive techniques to correct it. Um, but if you let it go down to 90 or 100 degrees bent, that's a much more involved surgery with a much longer rehab. Mm. And so those, you know, in the litmus test, can you get your hand flat on the table? And most people notice it or gets their attention when they try to shake people's hands, put their hand in their pocket. It doesn't go because it's bent. Oh, wow. It can also affect the bottoms of your feet as well. No, oh, interesting! So, nice, and enough. there is some correlation between trauma and the development or the progression of it. So, um, if you have a, a, you know a surgery or you're involved in some type of crush injury or trauma to the hand, it could potentially exacerbate the underlying condition. It doesn't cause it because you're born with it, and there, like I said, there's some some studies that show that maybe the trauma could exacerbate it potentially.
1: Wow. Okay. So we're going to have to go to break real quick, and when we come back, we're going to talk all about who is Dr. Lauren Hinojosa. This is like my favorite part because everybody gets to know you and your background and what makes you different than everybody else too. Uh, I want to give a shout out to Angelica and Linda. Hello, hello. You're doing great. Very helpful information. So thank you guys for watching. Uh, We'll be back to talk to Dr. Hinojosa.
0: Consider it an hour long free medical consultation with some of the Bay Area's top medical professionals and your host Abby Lee. Your Health Matters, exclusively on Vinyl Draft Radio. Radio done differently. Oh, hey. Hey. How you doing? girl? We're back. Welcome, Welcome back to, to Your Health, health matters, matters with, with Abby Lee. Lee. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, contact us at VinylDraftRadio.com. This, this is, is Your Health, health Matters, matters with, with Abby Lee. Lee.
1: Hi everybody! Welcome back to Your Health Matters. I'm Abby Lee, and today we have Dr. Lauren Hinojosa here. And we've been talking. I have learned so much, and I probably will still not (laughs) say those names right. Okay, but it's all good. But I know if I start picking up the baby after the fact and my wrists start hurting, I'll come and see you for some steroid (laughs) injections. So (laughs) hopefully, this baby won't be too crazy big. That would be awesome, right? (laughs) So let's. This is actually one of my favorite segments because people get to know you you as a person and not a lot of people get time and when when they're going to see you in your office to to really get to know who is Dr. Lauren Hinojosa so uh, you said that you grew up in Texas City I did so you're like local local very local <laughs> Very local. what brought you
2: to come back to this area uh, my family I'm like you we have a huge family and we're super close I don't know what I would do without them I used to think when I was younger like in high school I, I used to think I ah, small towns not for me I can't wait to go to the big city City and you know move on and so you know as I continued with my education I you know went to Austin for for undergrad and then um, Dallas for residency and then I was able to spend a year in in New York um, for the fellowship and that was enough more than enough i got my <laughs> tail back in texas so fast and my little girl was six months old when we moved to new york and that is just a different way of life that just was not for me i'm a texas girl and i got back just as soon as i could for many reasons i mean just the way of living up there was just it's just different when you grow up down here Texas people are just different in a good way (laughs) the other appreciation is what you have for your family I mean I truly after I was up there my whole family literally moved up there with well helped me move on my mom has a Ton of sisters. I have sis- all sisters, and so we all flew up to New York. Imagine for six, <laughs> eight women yeah, plus right. a baby and a carrier. You know, that was so much fun. Oh my God, Texas coming. We rented this big van. <laughs> <laughs> all these Texan women, you know, fly up to New York, and you know they got my apartment. You know, you live in a shoebox pretty much. So they tried to make it as home, homey as they could, and then you know it was fun. And then as soon as they left, you know, I'm sitting there with like oh my god you know i've got this baby and my mom and my sisters and my aunts who have been my lifeline you know I'm, it's so they we live down the street or you know within 5 minutes of each other and now they're a 4 hour plane ride away and so when they all got on the bus to to wave and leave it was just it was awful we were all balling crying yeah. and so it was a fun year it was a good experience but you definitely appreciate your family or I did so much mm-hmm. more you just don't realize how much you depend on them and how much you need them until you're pretty far away so as soon as fellowship was over i knew there was no Going other place like absolutely.
1: <laughs> there's no place there like home there was no home. question there was no question <laughs> I was like
2: get me back home i definitely agree with you on that mm-hmm.
1: one we lived down here for a year without any family and it was crazy it's hard and then they all moved down so we're all within like two miles of each other and that's awesome and amazing
2: and oh, it's great so anyway so why did you want to become a doctor so I I always knew I was going to go into medicine which is nobody in my family's in healthcare at all it was just for some weird reason weird reason I always just said that's what I wanted to do and I actually thought I was going to go into geriatrics. The whole reason I went to med school, like my personal statement for med school, my everything was geared towards geriatrics and geriatric medicine. And I still have a very soft spot. If you ask anyone in the mm-hmm. office, my my I just have a real soft spot for the older patients. Love them. Uh, but after my first year, I did some rotations in geriatrics and realized that wasn't exactly a good fit for me. And I just happened to do some research in the orthopedic department and I thought, what is this? This is fun. <laughs> (laughs) This is really fun. It was a lot of hard work, um, but it was really fun. Um, It was challenging too. There aren't a lot of females in orthopedics, so that part was a little bit different and challenging. But it was, it was. I enjoyed myself. Like it didn't feel like work to me at all. I enjoy getting up every day and doing what I do. It's fun to me. I enjoy it. That's awesome. Rock on. So, (laughs) what what made you decide hands? So, when I was a resident, um, it it offered a lot of the different. You have the trauma, which is so fun. You see people at their worst, you know, their broken arm, their deformed finger, their tendon laceration. And and you can help them and you can make them better and you can get them back to doing what they enjoy doing. And so that part's so rewarding, but it also has the the routine stuff, the arthritis and the what we call kind of the more common elective type things and ailments that you can it's all of it revolved around getting people to back to doing what they want. Everybody needs their hands. Mm-hmm. And you don't realize you know the the disability that's caused by having some type of ailment to your hand. So being able to be a part of getting people getting patients back to doing what they enjoy it, it's rewarding. It's happy. It's I mean it makes me happy. So how many tendons are in your hand? So you have um, flexor tendons, which are the tendons that allow you to bend your fingers, and you have extensor tendons, which allow you to extend your tendon uh, extend your fingers. So you have two flexor tendons to each digit. Um, you have flexor tendons in the wrist so there's one on each side so that's on the flexor or the palm side and then on the back side the extensor you have um, two to the index finger two to the small finger and the rest just have one and then you have um, three wrist extensors. So there's quite a bit. It's a lot of intricate anatomy. That makes the fingers stronger because they have two tendons? Those two, actually we use those. Those are expendable and we use them uh, quite often for reconstruction. When you tear another one we can reroute those around and restore function without, uh, without you know, causing any further compromise of function.
1: Awesome, so why don't you tell us a little bit, you mentioned it a little earlier, tell us where
2: you went to school and residency and all that. Sure, so I graduated high school in Texas City, like we talked about, so then I went to Austin at UT um, for four years, and then after UT in Austin, I did my med school in years in Galveston and they had a program where we could do our last two years in Austin so oh. I got to go back to where I went to undergrad which is really fun Austin's a great place to live so it's yeah. fun and then uh that's when I decided I was gonna do orthopedics I actually got involved with two private guys when I was in Austin and it truly felt like I was it was fun it did not feel like the grueling you know you didn't it didn't mind the lack of sleep or the the long nights because we were actually having fun and enjoying what we were doing and putting people back together again. There's tangible results, you know? Yeah, exactly, (laughs) exactly. Uh, So uh, which hospitals do you do surgery? So I do my surgeries at Clear Lake Regional. At, the, at HPH Houston Physicians, Houston Physicians Hospital and at the Bay Area Surgery Center.
1: Awesome, so we already know why Texas, so you have to tell us a little bit about your hobbies. What do you do for
2: fun? Um, I definitely enjoy, my stress relief is running and working out, so most people can find me at the, the fitness center down the street from my house at either really early <laughs> in the morning or in the evenings. If I, the girls know, if I miss that, then it's it's not, not as pleasant of a day. That's my release. Yeah. I really enjoy it. But I think my most favorite thing to do is spend time with my kids. I have a, a three-year-old little boy and a five-year-old little girl, and they are just my life. So it, like, I really enjoy spending time with them, playing outside with them. We go for, you know, we live on the water, so on the, you know, around this area. So we them out on the boat my parents have a boat so they enjoy watching the whales and going fast and <laughs> that's it's kind of fun awesome. to see their faces so that's probably my my most favorite hobby is hanging out with the those two little ones very cool so if someone wants to make an appointment with you how do they reach out to you okay so they can um they can call um, all american orthopedics at 281 335 1111 our extension is 126 Two one six. Two one six. That's why. This is <laughs> the dream team. This is Angelica yes. and Courtney. They keep me together. I don't know what I would do without that's these awesome. two in the Thank clinic. Thank you, Angelica so and Courtney. Yeah, that's who they would be speaking with. Um, And then the um, the website is um, allamerican.com. (laughs) Allamericanorthopedics.com. See. And where's your office located? 1045 Gemini. Yeah. Finally got one of the three, right? (laughs) (laughs) All right, you
1: guys. We'll come back next Tuesday. We're going to be talking to an oral surgeon about all sorts of fun things about your teeth. So Uh y'all come back next Tuesday at 4. We'll talk to you soon.
0: Find out more on today's show. Listen to previous episodes or watch us on YouTube. Go to VinylDraftRadio.com and click on audio and video archives. Your Health Matters with Abby Lee. Tuesdays at 4 exclusively on Vinyl Draft Radio. Radio done differently.